are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, we are exploring how that relationship gets worked out in real life with one of the current Sinai and Synapses fellows. Sinai and Synapses is a two-year fellowship committed to elevating the discourse surrounding religion and science and where the five of us first met. So, without further ado... Our guest today is Professor of Chemistry and Science Education at Shippensburg University. In addition to his responsibilities to chemistry and teacher education, he teaches an honors seminar on interactions between science and religion and conducts outreach to regional churches and public venues. He was the lead editor and contributor to a book to assist science teachers in addressing topics with religious implications called Making Sense of Science and Religion, Strategies for the Classroom and Beyond which was published through the National Science Teaching Association in 2019. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Joseph Shane. Thank you so much, Zach and Ian, for the uh, opportunity. It's a real honor. Absolutely. I really enjoy the work you do. Thank you. You are our first Sinai and Synapse Fellow of this current crop to join us on the podcast. So welcome for breaking the ice. Oh, wonderful. Um, and so you have done work with Ian in the past, um, which is Ian is with us today as well in this interview. Um, that book, which I mentioned at the end of your introduction, is a book that Ian also was an editor and contributor on. Ian, yeah. did you write yeah. for that as well? I got I to gotta confess, I don't have a copy of it in front of me. I apologize. Do you have a copy does. at all? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think so. I have like five in my office. So I'll send you one. Well, next time I come visit your office, Ian. Yes, I'll have them there ready, and, and I'll sign it for you, just for you. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> but I know that a lot of our listeners um, are in teaching fields, whether that's in academics, um, they might be in, in, in elementary or high school or college or seminary, university, or even um, in churches, so can you tell us a little bit about what this book was, what it what it aims to do, who it's for, and uh, what the process was like putting all that together? Uh, sure, Zach. If, if you don't mind, I, I always like to tell sort of the origin story, if you will, about how what sparked my interest in getting even into this whole idea of science and religion, if you don't mind me kind of backpedaling a little bit. Please, we love origin yeah, stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you bit yeah. by a radioactive preacher or something? Oh, that, that, if it was that exciting, that would, but it was, it was, in retrospect, it was a pretty poignant moment. So mm. my first year at Shippensburg was 2005, which is the same year that coincided with a pretty famous federal court case, the Kitts Miller versus Dover Area School Board trial. And uh, uh, your listeners are probably familiar with that, but I'll give you the, the synopsis here. So in this case, it was uh, a group of school board members, two in particular in a school district, which is actually about a half an hour from where I'm sitting right now in Dover, Pennsylvania, that uh, two school board members were trying to insert intelligent design, which I'm sure your listeners are familiar with that phrase, mm -hmm. into their freshman biology classrooms. And there was a couple of different ways they were trying to do that. Um, that court case was going on during my first year at Chippensburg when I'm just trying to figure out my, my academic life, get my legs under me, research, teaching, all of that. I had a student in my science education methods class. So these are seniors that are going to go out and be student teachers and then go get jobs. 
And he came to my office all the time to want to talk about the trial. And I got to be honest, I wasn't, I didn't have time to follow it that much. I didn't know much about the backstory. I had heard about the Scopes trial from 19, you know, almost a hundred years ago now. And he eventually got pretty frustrated with me because I just was not engaging him in conversation. He looked at me and goes, Dr. Shane, you're not taking this seriously and you really need to. Hmm. And that, uh, for all the teachers, educators of any kind out there, if a student says something like that to you, especially a student you deeply respect, which I did and still do, uh, that got my attention. Mm. So uh, I started to follow the trial. Um, I read the report, the uh, judge's report after he issued it. It was very powerful, moving, judicial memorandum opinion. I expected it to be dry and boring, uh, but it was not. So fast forward, uh, that's what got me interested in this topic. Uh, unfortunately, the way I started was just pure outrage at these school board members for what they were trying to do to the teachers. But as I say, outrage is not a good long-term strategy. That, that <laughs> tends not to operate very well. Um, so I started reading, started reading about science, religion, scholarship. It was the same time I was getting involved and in reading more about historical biblical scholarship and hermeneutics and things like that. So all these things were coming together. So where did that go? It eventually took me to my own church's congregation. I'm a member of a Presbyterian church, USA. I'm an elder, currently a ruling elder in there, which means I'm on our board called the session. And I taught a Sunday school class. The uh, pastor at the church at the time, he's emeritus pastor now. He says, it sounds like you're thinking about this a lot. Why don't you do a Sunday school class? <laughs> like, um, okay, does it matter that I really have no expertise? I've just read a bunch of books. Like, no, that's fine. It's Sunday school. Just just teach the class. So I did. And after four weeks of doing that, he came to me and goes, I can tell you're interested in this. <laughs> I think you should keep going. Hmm. So my whole science religion outreach really began with churches and more specifically PC USA, Presbyterian Church USA churches in the region. I've been to about 20 different ones in the last of 12 or 15 years. Wow. I really should have kept a head count. It's definitely been in the multiple hundreds, if not over a thousand people that I've communicated with about this. Um, then I kind of went out on a limb a little bit, which turned out to be not, not, not a very far limb and uh, submitted a roundtable discussion to our professional organization that Ian and I are in, one of them anyway, the Association for Science Teacher Education. So in other words, my main job. <laughs> and I said, I, maybe we should talk about these science religion themes in teacher education, just because our students teach in the real world where this is going to be an issue. So why don't we talk about it with teacher ed? So I did that. And that's where I met uh, Ian and Ron Herman and Lee Meadows. So, um, so Ron is at Towson University and he does a lot of things, but he's, his expertise is kind of in the legal aspects of teaching mm -hmm. evolution. It's more, I'm, I'm pigeonholing folks. I don't want to do that. Uh, Lee Meadows is at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and has written extensively about evolution education. He's involved with the Smithsonian Institute. And then um, I think Ian and I probably have some similar backgrounds where we, we got interested in it maybe in our, through our churches, but then it's become part of our professional. Again, Ian can speak for himself. Um, so then we, um, we wrote a paper about science and religion in teacher science, teacher education, and another epiphany moment, we were doing this presentation at, uh, uh, in Reno, not in a casino, but in a conference room. <laughs> and for our organization, a lot of people showed up for this presentation. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. So what did we do? Well, this, 
the authors of that paper that I told you about, we just stood there and talked. We didn't have a big death by PowerPoint presentation. We just talked. <laughs> so uh, I just sat back and I was watching my colleagues say their, their, why they cared. And it just dawned on me, we need to write a book. So we went out, I went out and said, well, let's make sure this book hasn't already been written. And I went back up to the hotel room, told my wife, I said, I'm going to need about two, two and a half, three hours to sit here and work on this book prospectus that came into my head. And that was the, the it didn't stay that way. And then uh, that's, that was kind of the seed idea for this book. And then we quickly realized none of us could write this book by ourselves. And we can't write this book, just the four of us, we have to get other people involved. So instead of doing one book that the four of us wrote, we got a whole lot of other really cool people to write different chapters. And it's to, to finally get to your question, whatever, 20 minutes later, <laughs> <laughs> the book is written for science educators, uh, teachers, people that work in informal settings, museums, environmental education centers, to kind of help them get ahead of these issues a little bit rather than respond when an objection comes up that might be religiously based to this, the standard topics that you've talked about in your podcast before, evolution, geochronology, cosmology, genetics, race, all kinds of different things. It's not just limited to specifically evolution, but that's obviously the, the most prevalent example historically. Yeah. And that's, that's what we did. We wanted to write something for educators at all levels. How do you get ahead of that conversation? Great. Um, well, I'm going to steal an idea from two of my great friends that teach at Mechanicsburg High School, which is about 15 minutes from where I'm sitting. And one of the things they do is they just preempt a lot of this in their classroom. They have a position statement at their high school that, that acknowledges evolution. The science department has one, but they also acknowledge that students may have been raised to have certain objections, often religiously based, to these ideas. So they discuss those things up front, and they say, if you want to talk about it, we can. And they even do some activities in the classroom, what we put under the heading of nature of science or history of science, using some of those classic examples of Galileo and uh, Darwin and Copernicus and Newton, and talk about how they, how they infuse relig their religious beliefs into their work. Um, so they just kind of mention it up front rather than waiting for something to happen. And they, uh, my, my, one of my good friends at the high school that has this great phrase, uh, she says, we just try to make sure we just bring the threat level down. Mm. And she was raised a very fundamentalist Christian growing up, went to a fundamentalist Christian college and had to wrestle with these ideas herself. And the area where they teach, they know they get a lot of these students. And that's pretty much the United States of America. That's not just central Pennsylvania. So, and they, so they handle that in a very thoughtful way. And um, that's that's kind of what we were hoping to do here is, quite frankly, to get teachers to take it seriously, regardless of where they come from, from a faith or spiritual perspective. It's just, quite frankly, part of our job. And we that we make that argument in the book, I think, pretty well. Ian, do you have any follow ups on that? No, I got nothing. Joe just keeps going. The biggest thing with <laughs> with this, Joe kind of undersold his uh, his role in that book. You know, we, the four of us who served as the editors of that book, it, it would not have happened without Joe. Like he was the primary driver of, of that book happening. Um, and you know, the rest of us were fully on board. Um, but Joe was the one who really pushed for that book 
to happen. And I'm very thankful for that because it has turned out to be a, an outstanding resource for teachers and teacher educators. And, you know, all of us were passionate about this kind of work. And um, it's been very exciting to see uh, increased interest um, at our professional organization uh, when we present. Right. Just because all of us were kind of trying to get the organization to do things. And then we all just found each other and said, you know, let's collaborate and make this happen. And it's really helped a lot. So Joe and I got to know each other because of that um, original position statement on teaching biological evolution for AST. And so because I had written a draft of that and then Joe came on board and then two others. So, uh, yeah, it's been really cool so far. We. I know we've got more to yeah, go. Yeah, it was, it was a really good process. It was a, about a three-year process from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had no trouble recruiting other authors. People were very enthusiastic about doing it. We, we, we wrote it in such a fashion. We, our general advice to the authors was, we want this to be part letter, part literature review that you write to science educators in America. So we said, we, we don't want a condensed literature review of your life's work. Please don't give us another academic paper. It's a Give us some compelling reasons why we this is an issue we need to take seriously. Yeah, and came together pretty yeah. well. In fact, I think uh, when it went out to reviewers, the only chapter that we had the most amount of pushback on was the one that Mark and I wrote on elementary school, um, and it was because we chose to approach it the way we approach all of our work was from the framework of nature of science, um, because we were advocating that. While you and and then using that to build to here's how you build the foundation for their you know formal schooling, um, but we spent a lot of time on nature of science because we were we've always argued that young children need to understand science first before they can delve into understanding the complexities of evolution or other science topics. Anyway, so right, hmm. right, yeah, yeah. With with that age group, there are d- developmental considerations about how in depth into these they can. So yeah, your approach is saying just have them understand what the scientific process is all about and involve them with right. it. Have them do it. I think is how you said it. Have them have them do the science. And uh, so they have a basis when they get into middle school and high school for developing sort of a philosophical or epistemic perspective on what science is. Yeah. Mm. So how do you handle it in the classroom? If you got a student and the student raises their hand and they're like, well, uh, you say that people evolved from uh, primate ancestors and my pastor and my mom and my dad say that God created us in six days and you're wrong. And here's, you know, the Bible verses I have to prove it. And here's the Christian movie I watched in which uh, yeah, I'm supposed yeah, sure. to talk down the the atheist at, at the front of the room. And uh, wh- how do you how do you do that and keep your job? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I again, I wish my friends from Mechanicsburg were here because they they handle that on almost an annual basis, multiple times. Mm. Um. <laughs> So I'm going to tell, I'll tell a secondary story. So I I had a student teacher uh, that was in my methods class after 2005. So I started to put some more of this into my methods class. Like anybody who's a biology or an earth science teacher, they had to write lessons for evolution and geochronology that they put things in the lesson that would draw out some of those concerns at the, so not wait for it. Uh, But, but, but in case it happens, I had a student, um, uh, she was a student teacher. It was one of her first days of student teaching. <laughs> a, a, a student, ninth grade earth science student, walked right up to her uh, 
unprompted before class started. <laughs> and he says, uh, I believe God created the earth in six days. And uh, so I'm not going to believe whatever you tell me. Mm. And, and she did not overreact. She just said, okay, uh, I, we're going to have to dis- discuss this, but I'm certainly not going to say anything that's going to, uh, a- to ask you to, to not be a person of faith. So I don't know exactly what she said, but she, what she didn't say, which is what you don't say, I don't think, is, is that we're not going to talk about that. Mm. Because when you say that to a 14 or a 15-year-old, and all I'm doing is stealing Lee Meadows' line here, is it tells them that you don't care or that it's not important. Hmm. And for a teacher, you certainly never want to do that, regardless of what the issue is and regardless of what you think about it. Um, so that, that, that's a good one. But I'll tell you one from a church class that I taught, if you want to hear that one. Yeah. Um, so it was another Presbyterian church. But as I realized, the, that label, that denominational label doesn't necessarily matter all that much when it comes to this conversation. It matters the congregation. It matters the pastor, the Christian educator in that congregation. And also maybe some, shall we say, vociferous individuals within the congregation. <laughs> uh, and I have a feeling, Zach, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went, I, when I taught the class at this church, it was actually a friend of mine that invited me and her husband was the pastor and we had dinner and she goes, and he said, I just want to let you know, we've, we've got some families in this church that are that homeschool their children with creationist biology textbooks. Like, okay. I mean, at this point, I had done enough reading where that wasn't shocking to me anymore. Um, I said, that's, that's fine. I mean, I've, I've, I don't have a stock answer for every question I'm asked. But so and to this guy's credit, he showed up with his family. And he was there for all four weeks <laughs> when, I, when I actually went through some evolution and some contemporary examples, but also science, religion, scholarship as well. And he was very polite. And at the last class, it was, is it, I, I made sure I cut the class short. I said, what questions do you want to talk about? And he shot his hand up and he goes, what am I supposed to do when you tell me a day is not a day? Hmm. And the thing I was going to respond, you know, with some of the, some of the answers, you know, the day age theory that the, in the, in the Genesis story of creation day was not actually a, a 24 hour day, even though the translation is that way, but we're not getting into those weeds. But actually, I didn't have to respond at all. The rest of the congregation had a conversation about the multifaceted nature of Scripture. Mm. Is they, they kind of took over that conversation and had it among themselves. It was really a neat thing to see. Mm. I hear a kind of desperation and sadness in that question that I, I resonate with. How, what am I supposed to do? If a day is not a day, you can kind of start to hear the person's understanding and faith unraveling in that moment that what can I trust if I can't if I can't trust my own reading of of scripture and I'm beholden to some experts who can say whatever they want without me being able to counter that. uh, What do I have left? No. Right. And, and I know that's a common theme in all of this work that you two have seen innumerable times in different contexts. It's, it, it comes down to a lot of it comes down to how you view what's the nature of Scripture and its relationship to your faith and to faith and reason, <laughs> <laughs> not just science and religion, but faith and reason. That's uh, an ongoing challenge, but also a promising one. 
Do you ever wonder how many existential crises you've started? <laughs> uh, well, you know as well as I that when you when you present folks with a rational argument, I mean, I, don't, it's, I try not even to pose it as an argument, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing my sabbatical, by the way, uh, is to understand teaching in this space, because teaching in this space is very different than teaching a general chemistry lecture. Yeah. Um, that it's not epistemological, it's ontological, it's uh, personal, it's familial, it's relational. That it's not that necessarily that people don't accept what you're saying, is that if they did accept it openly, that could cause them to lose relationships. Yes. Again, a common theme to you all. So I, I have never, it's interesting you ask that. One thing we haven't talked about is I teach an honors seminar at Chippensburg, so 15 weeks talking about science and religion. And what I discover there, and again, this I'm not the first person to discover this, this is pretty well documented. If you teach this fairly responsibly, which I think I do somewhat, <laughs> it it tends to give people a more nuanced and stronger version of their faith. I've never had a student come to me and say, after this class, I just can't accept religion anymore. That's That, that almost sounds dumb to say that, to be perfectly honest. Um, because I don't teach the class that way. That would be an irresponsible way to, to teach science and religion. <laughs> uh, is and I've had many students that would come to me. And I mean, not 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 uh, the majority of them, but some will come back and say, "This really helped me talk to some family members that I just really feel like I couldn't talk to before." Wow! Because I I really try to to address it, and I give the students if they want to for their semester project go look at science religion issues in their own particular denomination. I also encourage them. And I think this year I'm going to make it a requirement. They actually have to find another person and make a like a, a personal interview part of the project. So it's not just, let me go read 10 more papers and write you a paper, Dr. Shane, that's not going to teach you anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're probably not, if you want to go write about the Scopes trial, go ahead. But I've, you're <laughs> probably not going to show me much more than I don't already know. <laughs> but I try to make it something for them. So I, it's, it's almost the opposite. I think it's, a, it's more not an existential crisis, maybe a, a deepening of their understanding. Mm, okay. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with a good crisis here and there. They can be right. very necessary. We've all been through that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorite atmospheres to teach in is a Sunday school class where they combine the youth and the adults. So it's the kids sitting next to their parents. Ooh, why do you like that? Um, because I th cause the students are the ones that probably have a better understanding of science than their parents, unless their parents are scientists, yeah. uh, because the students are taking these classes. <laughs> if, if they're in middle school or high school, they're probably currently taking a class where some of these issues could be brought up. Um, and I like talking about that because I, 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 I don't pull any punches with this because I say I realize by just by me teaching this course, just the nature of this topic could cut to the core of your identity. And for some parents, it's also part of how you're raising your children. Mm. So I don't expect these to be easy. And, uh, uh, and that's, I think they appreciate that upfrontness, but, but then on the other side, I've had some pastors say that there's certain families that would never come to that class, Yeah. but they would never come listen to a professor talk about science and religion. It's just not, not something they're going to do. 
Yeah, you do kind of get a self-selecting group anytime you put together a session like that. You're more likely to have the people who are open to discussion coming to an open discussion. Yeah. I understand that. Folks, yeah, the sorts of folks who are militantly opposed, you're never going to get to show up. Um, that's why I would, if I ever needed to say something like important like that, I put it in a sermon because I know they they have to be there. And I've only had a handful of people ever walk out on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I understand my role is uh, I'm not, I'm not a pastor at that church. I'm not a Christian educator. So I think sometimes the pastors and they appreciate because I come in and can say some things that they probably can't. Mm. Well, there's a that, good, that, Yeah. Well, I think that, that's, that's a good advertisement for all of you listening, that if this is a topic that you want your your church, your your group, whatever, whatever group you're leading, but you feel like maybe you don't want to stir the waters too much, find yourself an outside uh, person to come and lead that group, yeah. um, whether locally or um, one of us could do it virtually. Yep. I love doing that kind of work. I, that's how I advertise my services here in southeastern Pennsylvania, that let me come in and give the the, the kind of the tough uh, reality bending kinds of talks. And then then you can be there and be their pastor after after they've had part of their life crumble. And <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I like what you said there, Joe, about that with you not being a pastor, there are benefits to that. You know, it made me think about, um, you know, some of my, um, uh, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, so some of the priests that I've worked with in the past, you know, some have asked if I'd ever considered going to seminary and, you know, um, and I've said not really, uh, not any time recently, especially just because, I uh, was advised by another uh, former uh, priest of mine um, that I have more freedom to do what I want to do without being ordained as a lay leader in the Episcopal Church than I would potentially as a priest, just because um, you know I'm even I'm not really an outsider, but I just again I just have more freedom because I don't have to worry about uh, the intricacies within the church and the um, you know discussing things with my bishop and all those kinds of things. And so I, you know, but then he also made it clear too. He said, you know, if you ever feel like you're called to go to seminary, then he would support it. But that for now, it wasn't necessary. I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I, I've grown to appreciate greater the, the pastor's role. Cause in the Presbyterian church, uh, it's the, it's our session, our board, if you will, that hires and fires and, I mean, in our particular church, I think we'd be open to it, but our, our, our pastors, he's, he's wonderful. And the pastor that encouraged me to do this was one they just didn't have a background in science. Right. It was not, they, they just didn't, it's not that they, they were opposed to talking about evolution and geochronology. They just, like, I don't know how I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, there are institutional and or, or congregational expectations, which uh, uh, one of the pieces of advice, it wasn't really in a science religion thing. I was listening to uh, some Old Testament lectures by A.J. Levine or Levine from Vanderbilt. And she just said for Christians, she goes, Christians need to learn how to argue better. <laughs> she Amen. Said, it's like she's too, too worried about not offending anybody. You just need to wor- learn how to argue more effectively. So she goes, Jewish or Jewish people are great at that. <laughs> But says, Christians in America are not so much are not very comfortable with argumentation for some reason, or nope. or hashing through 
like having a space where they can articulate and work through ideas on their own because they're just sometimes live in fear of how other people will react. And I never felt that, but that's usually because I'm just socially oblivious. Oh, I think that's a Protestant <laughs> thing. When when our churches are, are are organized by common belief, then when you lose your belief, you're no longer welcome in the community. And mm-hmm. so there is a, an incentive there to toe the party line and to not stir the pot too much because then you're going to yeah. have to find a whole other tribe. In Judaism, I mean, in, in some strands of Judaism, you don't even need to believe in God to be a Jew. And sure, you sure. feel free to go ahead and argue right ahead. You are just, by default, you belong. And when by default you belong, then you're so much more free to, to have arguments and debates. Yeah. See, that's, that's why I feel really fortunate where I am is uh, we can talk about the the mythological interpretation of scripture. And I don't uh, have to look over my shoulder and wonder mm-hmm. who heard that and wonder if, there, if it, or I, I, can, I can use that term in an unironic tongue in cheek sense. I can say that that is a, I'm not using that as a diminishing term. I'm using that as an analytical term, one way to look at aspects of scripture yeah. <laughs> as scripture, as literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Mythology is not a dirty word. <laughs> no, no, no I, to you two, I suspect not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, sir. So but, uh, I, I don't know if, what else you'd like to hear about, like the how when I teach the honors class with you know, college age kids or whatever you think would be interesting or whatever questions you have. I don't want to hijack both the questions and the answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. You can tell you're an educator. Um I try. <laughs> so you alluded earlier to the fact that you are currently on sabbatical yeah. and you are doing work right now with some, I, I don't know, can we say friends of the podcast with Dozer? Yeah. I mean, we've done a lot of work alongside uh, yeah. the, let me see if I can get this, the American Academy for the Advancement of Sciences Dialogue on Science, Ethics, and Religion. Most of that That's, was right. No, I got that AAAS part wrong, right? That's the, okay. Just call yeah. it AAAS. It's no problem. <laughs> AAAS Dozer. They're the ones. They've they've uh, partially funded um, Sinai for synapses, Sinai and synapses. They uh, have started the uh, Science for Seminaries program, which I am a part of right now with uh, Palmer Theological Seminary, and you are doing work with them. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what, what you're working on right now? And actually, can I interrupt? Let me interrupt Joe real quick if, if I can. So I would love for not only for you to kind of share with us the work you're doing, but you know, what was it? Cause you know, so as, as academics, as professors that we are given the opportunity to go on sabbatical um, every, it depends on where you're at. I think mine's every seven years or something like that. But what was it that drew you for the sabbatical to, when you applied to work with Dozer? And then can you tell us what it is you're doing? Absolutely. So um, this was discussions about this were pre-pandemic. So it's not shaken out the way I wanted it to, but that's the story for everybody on the planet. (laughs) Uh, So I won't bore you with the details there. Everybody has a version of that story where their plans were changed and gone into two dimensions in many cases on screens. Um, But it's worked out well. So what drew me to this? Uh, I think the, the one of the first things that drew me to it was understanding Doser's existence. <laughs> and I went to a Doser event at the end of one of their projects. I believe that one was the uh, Perceptions Project. 
yep. which is where they uh, they reached out to the evangelical Christian community in the United States through the National Association of Evangelical Churches, or the NAE. <laughs> so I, I just I went there. I, we all, went, I went to the president. I went there. That's yeah, the one that did. we met at, right? So, yeah, we all met up in DC right. for that yeah. one. So yeah, we we all went down to DC uh, for this, and I met some people from the from my denomination, the Presbyterian Association for Science, Technology, and the Christian Faith, and then all these other amazing people that weren't just scientists interested in religious implications for what they believed and taught and accepted, and we're not going to parse all those words out now. Um, But then I met all these other folks that were clergy, and I met somebody, his name is Jim Miller, who, if I had to pick one or two people in the U.S. that's written and thought more about science, Jim would be at the top of that list, along with like John Hott from Georgetown. Mm. He'd be up there. Um, so, and then I realized the doser office. So we, we, the doser folks contributed a chapter to the book, the making sense of science and religion book. And I just kind of contacted two of them. I contacted Rob O'Malley, who still works there and Shay Kim, who's still at AAAS, but no longer in the doser office. And I just said, could I just come down and talk to you guys sometime because <laughs> I have family in DC. So we had a nice meeting and I said, I, I'd like to know more about what you do and maybe I could spend some time working with you all. And it was just kind of a, and they were very encouraging. They said, well, sure, we, we can, we can do something like that. And I had no idea at that point what it was. So then it dawned on me that I had never had a sabbatical. So why don't we do that? So they, after a lot of discussions with them, they designated me as a visiting scholar, which uh, sounds very lofty, but basically means I get an, uh, a cubicle and a computer. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some help with parking, but probably not. Um, you are yeah, just visiting so, uh, after all. Right, right. So exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but it took me a while to realize that what that really means on sabbatical is I wasn't, good, I wasn't like on loan to them. The, the, I was like, if I had a project in mind, for what I wanted to do, then they would help support me. So it was, it was more of me asking them what they can do for me rather than the other way around. So I'm, I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but the other side of that coin was they were just gearing up for a STEM education office at AAAS, which they had never really gotten into education issues too directly. Of course, they're going to write about education. They're the biggest scientific organization in the United States. <laughs> um, but but they never really had a dedicated office to that. So I met the uh, person that was going to be head of that STEM education office. It's, oh, maybe there's something to get these two offices to work together because we wrote the book and that was kind of the point. That was the original idea. But the STEM education, the pandemic just put so many things on hold. Yeah. So basically, I've been doing a home sabbatical. You can probably tell from my background, this is not the D.C. skyline through my giant ornate <laughs> office window. Um, and so what I've been doing is more, more of a project of personal interest is what can I learn from some other contexts about what it needs to teach about science and religion? As a teacher, how is that different than somebody teaching a science course or being a religious educator or a pastor? So when you talk about these issues, what are some maybe unique features to pedagogy in that space. Now that's, that's pretty narrow, and I'm still not sure it's actually going to shake out that way. 
So what I've been doing was basically I've developed, I'm working on a bibliography because that's what you do when you are a literature review. When I'm reading a thousand papers, I, I need some way to organize them and look for common themes across those. And I've come across some pretty amazing people uh, in contexts where science and religion are more overt themes. In the U.S., they're there. But because of our constitution, we don't teach religion in public schools as a separate course. If they do, it's an elective. You'll see world religions classes here and there mm. uh, in K-12 public schools. So I just wanted to learn more about that from non-traditional context than American schools and traditional topics like we've discussed many times. So that's what I'm working on. Uh, and I've got some, some pretty neat papers, uh, uh, a paper written from Tibetan Buddhist perspective where a group of scientists gave them a short course on biology and asked them for their responses. Hmm. Uh, no, that's a teacher, a educator in, yeah, an educator in Jerusalem. They're having a lot more influx in some Israeli schools of more women going to college and universities, hmm. some coming from ultra-Orthodox Jewish uh, sects or religious, and they have very firm ideas on what humanity is all about. And when they go into a course where they're taught some things that don't, what do you do about that? And uh, some, I've got some other papers from Indonesia where they have a combination of Islamic students, Buddhist students, and they still have a lot of animist students. So how do you teach, how do you teach science in that context? So that's what I'm trying to do. So looking at research literature, looking at commentaries from education settings, and then also, again, working with this philosophy of education professor uh, to develop sort of a, a teaching philosophy, if you will, about science and religion. Interesting. I'm not sure where it's going to. I'm not sure where it's going to go yet. Uh, the, the Dozer folks. I I asked them a very blunt question a while back. I said, "I'm I'm doing this for myself." I <laughs> said, "But I said, who should my audience be?" And one of the guys said, "Oh, just write it for us," hmm. because they have the Science for Seminaries program, mm -hmm. and the the major focus of those folks seems to be uh, science and theology. Like, how do you teach science within the theological context of a particular faith tradition, which is totally reasonable if you're teaching a course at a seminary. But mine is looking at it slightly more broadly than that, not just science and theology, but science and religion. And again, I'm finding it's not just, it's not a scholarly pursuit when it comes to teaching it. It's a very, again, ontological, personal, core value topic. And for me, that's a very different kind of teaching than I'm used to. So I'm trying to learn how to, to answer your question bluntly. I'm trying to be a better teacher. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. was the short answer. You can edit all that other stuff out. I'm just trying to be a better teacher. <laughs> so what do you hope to take away from this experience? Obviously the papers, you know, the potential for those papers, the lit review, stuff like that. But you just said at the end, bluntly, I'm trying to be a better teacher. So what is it long-term? Like, what do you see, you know, and I, I'm going to, challenge you a little bit here, Joe, what do you see happening immediately when you're back in the classroom again? What do you hope will happen within like a year or two? And then maybe like five years? Do you have, have you thought through that yet? Uh, a little. Um, so in the immediate future, I'm teaching my honors seminar this fall. The director of the, the, of the honors college knew I was on sabbatical and she wrote me one of my letters of support. Yeah. And she says, I want you in that classroom when you come back from sabbatical, cause you're going to be ready to go. <laughs> uh, I said, I sure am. Uh, so it'll be a fun class to teach because it'll, it'll be uh, probably a lot less academic, uh, if you will, sem seminar type course. Um, 
more focused on issues a bit more than on relationships between science and religion abstractly. Um, another thing that came out of this that I'm kind of motivated about is returning to that teaching science in a social context, which you've heard about a lot. And it, it I've often thought, and I don't know Ian, how it is at uh, uh, UNC Charlotte, but it, our science majors at Chippensburg, I think science majors most places, get very little beyond content and skills in the curriculum. It's like, if you're a physics major, you're going to get physics content right, and right. physics skills. Chem okay. There's very little of that science and society that we teach. And again, I'm just going to speak for Shippensburg. And maybe I should just speak about Shippensburg chemistry majors. We don't give them much training on history of science, nature of science, legal aspects, ethical aspects. We don't discuss any of that stuff. The mm -hmm. only people we discuss that with is in our one semester, 100 level survey courses for non-majors. And it's kind of reinvigorated my idea about getting back in and looking at some of these concepts from a broader, almost values-based thing. Because some of the lessons I'm taking about science and religion, you could also put into economics. How you structure an economy cuts to people's basic core values about what they think a society should be. Uh, so that's, that's kind of even looking at the science curriculum from a little bit more of a societal perspective. I'm kind of interested in getting back and teaching those 100 level courses that nobody ever seems to want to teach uh, yeah. <laughs> or to do something for our majors um, and also get back out on the road and do the outreach, just do the hard work of getting out into the general public. Cause I haven't done, I've done some zoom things for rotary clubs and stuff like that, which is totally fun, but uh, I've got a short course set up for a local public library in Camp Hill, which is very centrally located, a very big, beautiful library. So just getting out and doing the work, because I, I don't mind writing and reading and having these kinds of conversations, but you know this as well as I. It takes people that are out, get it willing to get out there and just do the work. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're not just, just going to read the books and read the papers. They need you in a room talking and give them a space, just like Sinai and Synapses providing, just like the space you provide here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've, yeah. you've hit the nail on the head so many yeah. times today that yeah. so yeah, I have zero the... interest in writing the next book about how to reconcile science and religion. <laughs> Squadooch, no interest in that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you keep saying it. It's, it's about identity and relationships is where most of the conflict comes from, not from actual conflict between the two, uh, between science and religion. So yep. you, you get out there, you make that space for people, you you show yourself to be a safe presence yeah. where people can explore. You show them that even if their worldview changes, that there are so many people out there like them, there's this extended community out there that they will not be alone in that scary new world that they're, that they're uh, yeah. moving yeah. into. And, and when I realized that I cannot be, nor should I ever expect myself to be, an expert in all things science and religion—that's a liberating thing. It's like I'm, I'm not the answer man. I mean, I'm going to—I'm going to give a presentation, a Zoom presentation, to this big Jewish congregation in California. What? Else? I know—I know virtually nothing about Jewish theology. I'm going to have to do a little homework before I go into that to teach that class. But they're not expecting me. They're not inviting me as an expert on Jewish theology. Right. Right. <laughs> they, right. they just want to have a fun conversation for a couple of hours. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you are an expert on your experience with the world. And right. as long as you go from that place, yep. you can speak to any group. Yep. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. That's that's it. Nope. 
no, no. And that's the way I teach the honors class. I don't, I don't hide my background or hide my faith in that what I call the siren song of objectivity. (laughs) (laughs) So Joe, uh, here we are approaching the end of our time together. And I want to ask you one final question that I asked all of the previous fellows. Um, and I know you didn't listen to those, so this is, this is going to catch you <laughs> off guard on purpose. Um, but take your time. What is one thing that you wish everyone knew about the world? Um, I'll, ad- I'll adapt some. I, I, I had a, a question that was asked to me. I, I, sorry, I'm telling you another, yet another story. I taught a class to a group of retired pastors down in York, Pennsylvania. It was a pretty, pretty intellectual group, shall we say. And it was a little intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were good. And one of them, at, at the halfway point of this one day, she goes, hey, we like little phrases that we can take away, like little little snippet phrases that, that make us think about something. And I might adapt that. So I, I thought about it, and it, something dawned on me. And I, I told him, I, says, uh, I said, uh, I'm not big on bumper stickers and t-shirt slogans. Uh, but I said, how about this? Evolve your faith or hasten its irrelevance. Oh. And so I guess the thing I wish people would know about the world is if, if you're not thinking differently about what you think you know, you're not thinking at all. I want to put that on a bumper sticker. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, or maybe more condensed, to think differently is to think, period. Mm. Oh, that's another good one. It is. You missed your calling. (laughs) I know, Joe. Like, we need to, like, I need you to, like, you know, write that in a really beautiful calligraphy or something like that, and I can put it up in my inspiration. Oh, can I I, I have my mom make me a pillow with that phrase on it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She made me this when I was was a kid. She could make another one and just put that right there. (laughs) Absolutely. What is that? Cross stitch? I don't know what hey, that is. Yeah. We, Rachel does Rachel cross, does stitch. cross yeah. stitch. <laughs> no, I'm not making fun of it. I just don't do no, it. No, no. Really yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I would. I love it. I'm an educator. I'm an I'm an enemy of the lazy and the self satisfied. I love it. I love yeah. it. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Joe. I'm going to take that with me today and and think about that and uh, probably quote you at some point. So. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you, Joe, for for being here on the podcast today, for spending 45 minutes with us, and good luck on all of your endeavors with the multitude of papers and books that you'll be reading and collating during the rest of your sabbatical. Um, And we are so happy that you are here today and that you've been a part of the Sinai and Synapses Fellowship program, and I know that you will have an incredible time with that as well. 